Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad that you're here. If you're here for the first or second time, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as the senior pastor here. And it's always a joy to be with the people of God in the house of God at Scotts Hill Baptist Church. And those of you who are watching us uh, live streaming right now, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come into your home today. And we want to invite you next week to come into our home. We'd love for you to come join us here at 185 Scotts Hill Loop Road. We have three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11, and love to see you be a part of that. Some of you are watching online, and it is not Sunday morning. It's later than a week. And so we're glad that you're able to take some time and join us as we worship together. We want to invite you as well. And for those of you who are here live, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you for your faithfulness as we continue to study the book of First Thessalonians. I read a story some years ago about a church, and it was a vibrant church. It was a growing church. It was a spirit-filled church. It was a church where things were happening. The power of God was present there. The gospel was being preached. Many people were coming to faith in Christ, and those who were being saved were being discipled, and those being discipled were, became the evangelists of the community, and they had an impact in their community. Before you came into the worship center of this small church, there was over the door of it was written a sign, and that sign read, we preach Christ and him crucified. And they did. They preached about the nature of sin. They preached the origin of sin. They preached the, the fallenness of humanity and the brokenness of our world. They preached the holiness of God and a high view of God and understanding that the only way that man can be reconciled to God would be through a relationship with Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sins, rose on the third day, and in him alone is salvation. They preached that and people were coming to faith in Christ. That church continued to grow. The power of God was in their midst. And they did that for some years. But many years went by, and a vine began to grow on the side of the door. And as the vine began to grow on the sign, it covered up some of the words, and all that was left was, we preach Christ. And that they did. They preached about Jesus being the man. They preached about Jesus being a prophet. They preached about Jesus being a good moral teacher. They preached about all of his teachings and all of his principles. And they preached that if you apply the principles of Jesus to your life and you model his life, you will be happy. You will be successful. You'll be wealthy. Your kids will be well-adjusted. You can have your best life now. They no longer preached about sin. They no longer preached about repentance. They no longer preached about the brokenness of the world. They only talked about how to improve yourself by following the principles of Jesus. The church lost its power. Oh, people were still coming, but they were not being transformed. They were struggling. They couldn't figure out how to make this thing work. And they tried all the principles, and people were frustrated. The vine continued to grow. And as it continued to cover the sign, all that was left was we preach. And they did. 
They preached about humanity being good and wholesome. They preached about social justice outside of the power of the gospel. They preached about universalism, that all paths lead to heaven. They preached about the the goodness of our culture and that to bring the culture into the church so that the church can understand the culture around it. And they begin to lose their influence in the culture. Because they were no different from the culture. And the vine continued to grow, and all that was left was the word we. We. Ten or twelve members left. No longer could pay the bills. Had to shut the doors. Sell the building. And that which was once an outpost to the kingdom of God and the glory of God is now a convenience store that serves this community with very expensive items. Now, that's a story. And you might say, that's a fine story. It's a metaphor. But it's a beautiful picture of what has happened to the church in America today. We have seen churches beginning with the power of the gospel and then allowing the culture to be able to make its way in and to press upon it the shifts it needs to make to be like the culture. We've seen that churches have removed the power of the gospel by removing the gospel. And when the gospel is not present, there is no power of God unto salvation. And we've seen churches around us that dwindled in size and eventually closed the door because they have lost their impact. Those churches needed strengthening. Those churches needed help. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 is concerned about the church in Thessalonica. As we continue to study 1 Thessalonians, take your Bibles if you have them, take your phones and your apps or your devices and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has a heavy heart. He's really burdened about the church in Thessalonica. He's concerned about these new believers. You remember in in chapter 1 that Paul and Timothy and Silas, they make their way to Thessalonica. They have a three-week crusade, and many, many people are saved. They are preaching the gospel, and people's lives are being transformed. But the Jews in that area run them out of town, and they go to Berea, and they preach there. And they get run out of town again, but Timothy and Silas stay. Paul goes on to Athens. He waits for Timothy and Silas to meet him in Athens, and then they go to Corinth. And it's in Corinth that he writes this letter, and he's concerned about them because it's a difficult time. These are brand-new believers. He spent probably three months with them before he was forced out of town. He taught them everything that he could teach them in three months. And now he's concerned about their condition. He's wondering if they're going to be unsettled because people are going over there and lying about the Apostle Paul, and he's wondering if they're going to lose hope in him. There are persecution that's breaking out, and many of the believers are being persecuted. They're losing their jobs. They're being ousted by their families. They're going through a difficult time, and they are suffering heavily. And he's concerned about the tempter, Satan himself, tempting them to leave all of this and that all would be done in vain. And so the Apostle Paul is concerned about them. And so what does he do? He sends them three things that will strengthen the church. 
He sends to them these things that God lays upon his heart to help believers who are going through a difficult time. And I believe that the Lord sends the same things to his church today. These three things are the things that God uses to strengthen believers. These are the things that God uses to strengthen the body of Christ. These are the things that God uses to strengthen the vision and the calling of every church. And this morning, we're going to look at the entire chapter 3. And I know you're thinking, yeah, right. We are. We're going to get through it in a timely manner. Because what I want to do today is show you three ways and three things that God uses to strengthen Scotts Hill Baptist Church. Because what was used to strengthen the church in Thessalonica is no different 2,000 years later of what God uses to strengthen his churches today. So would you pray with me as we begin? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. As we look at this, Father, would you encourage our hearts today? Would you challenge our hearts? Father, would you cause us to evaluate our own lives and ask, are we doing these things to strengthen other believers? And may you charge us in that manner, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you three things that the Apostle Paul sends, and these are the things that God does through the Apostle Paul. Number one, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and to exhort you. He sends Timothy, okay? That, and he goes on, that no one be moved from these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could not bear it, I could bear it no longer. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Two times Paul says he's worried about the church. So what does he do? The first thing he sends is what God leads him to send. And I believe that God does the same thing today. Here it is. God sends the church helpers to encourage them. He sends helpers to encourage them. They're going through a very difficult time. They're going through persecution. They're going through distress. Many people, as I said, were losing their jobs, and they just needed some encouragement from a worker sent by God. And so God sends them this helper in Timothy to encourage them. Now, let me say this. The ministry of encouragement is an important ministry all through the pages of Scripture. We see the Lord Jesus was a minister of encouragement. He encouraged people. Barnabas in the book of Acts was known as the son of encouragement because he always encouraged other people. Two times in this passage, in this, this, this letter, the apostle Paul writes about encouragement. The word encouragement comes from two Greek words, kara and paleo. Kara paleo. I'm sorry, para and kaleo. Para kaleo. Paraclete is the word for the Holy Spirit. And he is an encourager to us. And we are to be encouragers to one another. Now, I want you to see something from this passage about the kind of encouragers that God often uses to strengthen the body. God sends unexpected people to encourage believers. 
You see, most of the time, God will send the most unexpected person to encourage us in difficult times. I'm sure the church in Thessalonica were maybe even upset. Paul did not go himself. Paul sent Timothy to them. And Timothy was an unexpected encourager because they were expecting the big guns. They wanted the Apostle Paul. They wanted the bold preacher of the gospel. They wanted the preeminent of all the disciples. They wanted the one who will eventually write 13 letters in the New Testament. They wanted Paul himself. But Paul did not go himself. He sent Timothy. Why would that be a surprise to them? Timothy was a very timid man. Paul was always encouraging him to be bold. Timothy was a very frail young man. Paul was always talking about his health and telling him to take a little wine for his stomach because obviously he was quite sickly. Timothy was second in control, second in charge. Timothy was shy and did not have an outgoing spirit. And of all the people Paul could have sent, they were unexpectedly expecting Timothy. And Timothy shows up. I want to say something. I understand how Timothy may have felt. I mean, he goes on the scene. People are not really excited that he's there because they really wanted Paul there. Many years ago, in one of my first ministry positions, I was sent to the hospital to make a visit of an elderly lady in our church. I was new to the staff. I was a new intern. And the pastors decided it would be a good learning experience for me to go to the hospital. And so I made my way to the hospital, and I walked into the lady's room, and she was sound asleep. I mean, she was out. She was snoring in the bed. And I'm thinking, what should I do? I don't know what I should do. You know what? I'll just go sit on her bed and wait for her to wake up. Then I'll pray with her. So I went, and I sat on her bed. And she had one of those pressurized beds that when the pressure changes, the alarm goes off. And when I sit on it, beep, 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 she wakes up, and she's startled. And I'm startled, and I jump up. And she says, who are you, and why are you sitting on my bed? I said, well, ma'am, I'm Phil Ortigo. I'm a new intern at New Covenant Baptist Church. The pastors thought it would be good for me to come. Well, I would expect that the senior pastor himself would be here, not some intern and she went on and on about it. And I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. I apologize to you, but can I pray for you? Please let me pray for you. She says, well, you might as well pray. You woke me up from the only sleep I've had in a week. I was thinking, boy, this is not going well. And so I said, ma'am, I just want to pray for you. And I prayed. I don't even know what I prayed. I probably prayed from Genesis to Revelation. And when I finished praying, she was out. She was asleep, and I didn't sit back on that bed. I got out of there. I didn't even tell the pastors what I did. A couple of weeks later, I see her, and she says to me, she says, young man, I, I want to talk to you. I was thinking, oh, no. I said, listen, I'm so sorry. No, 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 let me finish. That prayer you prayed was one of the most beautiful prayers, and it so encouraged me. I have not had a problem sleeping since you prayed. I said, you think that's good? You should hear me preach. So. <laughs> but here's the thing. A lot of times, we think it's the big guns that have to show up. Listen carefully. If you're expecting 
pastors only to encourage you, you will miss out on God's people that he is sending to you. Because he sends the most unexpected people to encourage us. You may not get a pastor to visit you in the hospital, but you may get a connect group leader or members from your connect group or some fellow believer in the life of the church that comes alongside of you and encourages you. You see, God often sends unexpected people. But here's the second thing. God always sends qualified people to encourage believers. Timothy was unexpected to them. They probably didn't like a whole lot about him, but he so encouraged them. Why? Because he was qualified. He was a qualified encourager. And what made him qualified? Two things that Paul tells us qualifies him. Number one, because of his position. Paul says, I'm sending to you Timothy. He did not say, I'm sending to you Timothy, my intern. He didn't say, I'm sending to you Timothy, my protege. He did not say, I'm sending Timothy to you, my assistant. No, he said, I am sending Timothy to you, our brother. He's your brother. He's part of the family of God. He is my brother. He is your brother. And he has been sent to encourage you, brothers and sisters. And any person who's a child of God is qualified to encourage other believers because we're brothers and sisters. We're in a family of God. We have the same Father. We have the same Savior. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Word of God. We have the same struggles that we deal with. We have the same temptations that we have to fight through. We have the same hardships. So we can come to one another and encourage one another because we're all in this together. It was because of his being a brother. 18 times Paul uses that phrase in 1 Thessalonians, brothers and sisters. He's qualified because of his position, but secondly, he's qualified because of his partnership. Here's what he says, our brother and God's co-worker. This is amazing to me. God's co-worker. You know why that's so amazing? It's the only time that Paul uses that phrase in all of his writings. God's co-worker. What? He's a co-worker of God. He's a partner of God. Yes, the word co-worker really means servant. The picture is somebody who waits on tables. It's a waiter. And what qualifies him? Because Timothy is working along with God, and he is serving up the gospel to everyone around him. And so he has the authority to speak the gospel. Let me tell you something. God sends to this church helpers to encourage one another. And some of you may be like Timothy, and you're thinking, you know what? I'm way too shy to do something like that. I don't have the personality to encourage others. I don't know what to say. You know what? I'm not old enough, or I'm too old. They won't listen to me. Nobody listens to me anymore. But the reality is this, just as you and I are never to miss the unexpected people that God sends to encourage us, you and I are never to miss the opportunity to encourage other people. Why? We're brothers and sisters. We have the authority to serve up the gospel to one another in encouragement. I want to tell you, some of the greatest times of encouragement in my life 
always come at the time that I need it and at the most unexpected ways. Two weeks ago, a small girl from our first service wrote me an envelope. I guess she's about five years old. And she put this envelope in my hand after church. She says, Pastor Phil, I want you to have this. And on the envelope, it's got a picture of me and a picture of her. And it kind of looks just like this. I know you can't see it. And, but it says, from Natalie to Pastor Phil. I said, oh, that's really sweet. You know, she wrote on an envelope. But I recognize there's something in the envelope. And I open up the envelope, and in the envelope is a $2 bill and a $1 bill. And that little girl gave me what she had to encourage me. And God is calling you, brother and sister, to strengthen the body of Christ with what you have. You may not think you have much, but God has equipped you to be an encourager. I can promise you this. There's somebody in this room today, right now, that needs a word of encouragement. There's some people that came into this building today feeling defeated and hopeless, and they need someone to encourage them. And the ministry of encouragement is an incredible thing as we pay attention and watch the lives of one another and we can speak words of encouragement to one another. We could call out to one another and give courage and give the word of God to each other. One of the greatest ways of strengthening the body of Christ is for us to be encouragers with one another. And we can't do that if we don't know each other. If we're not doing life together, if we're not in a small group, if we're not in a Bible study group, if we're not in a connect group, it's hard for us to encourage without knowing. But I want to tell you this. Don't miss out on the people God will send to you. And don't miss out on the opportunity for you to encourage others. You can write a note. You can make a phone call. You can send a text. You can make a visit. You can pray. And those things impact people incredibly. So what does God do? The first thing he does is he sends a helper to encourage. But here's the second thing he does. God sends the church his word to establish them. He sends his word to establish them. It's one thing for us to be encouragers with one another. This is the first thing he does. And Timothy goes and encourages. But Timothy does not encourage them apart from the word of God. And the word of God is what establishes them. Paul is in Corinth. Timothy comes back and he's giving him the wonderful news of what God is doing in the faith of those Thessalonians. And they're excited. So what does Paul do? He writes a letter to them. He writes 1 Thessalonians. It's the very first letter in the New Testament. What does he send to them? He sends to them God's word. And here's what he says. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly. Remember, people were lying about Paul, but they didn't believe it and longed to see us as we longed to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. 
For we now live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What does Paul, what does this have to do with the word of God? This is the word of God. Paul is writing scripture to them. And this letter is inspired by God. And these Thessalonians get the very first instruction in the New Testament to the body of Christ. And Paul is always reminding them of what he taught. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 15, he says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that, we taught, that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. What is Paul giving him? He's giving him the word of God. And these Thessalonians are eating it up. They're reading it, they're studying it, and all through this book, this letter, he covers almost every major doctrine, even the second coming of Christ. And it's the word of God that will establish them firmly. God not only sends helpers to encourage us, he sends us his very word to establish us. Paul would rather later write this. He would say in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God sends his word to do these things. One man put it this way. I love the way he said it. Teaching tells us what is right. Reproof tells us what is not right. Correction tells us how to get it right. And training tells us how to stay right. I like that. That's what the Word of God does. That's how it establishes us. It tells us what is right so we can understand right and wrong. We know what's not right and what to avoid. We know how to apply it to our lives to get it right. And we know how to keep it right and keep walking in it. This is the amazing thing to me. The Thessalonians had one letter. One letter. They mostly were pagan, so they would not have had a background of Judaism. They would not have had the Old Testament or the Septuagint. They wouldn't have had the writings of the prophets. They wouldn't have any of that. They come to faith in Christ. Jesus has changed their life. Paul gives them one letter, and they're established in the Word. You know how many we have? 66 books in the Bible, and every bit of it is the breath of God. And God gives us his word to establish us. His word is food that nourishes us. It's light that guides us. It is a sword that defends us. It is a foundation that establishes us forever. And we are called to be a part in reading the Word of God. Listen, listen, dear friends. If the only intake of the Word of God you get is what you hear from this platform on Sunday mornings, it will never establish your life successfully. It won't. I don't care if it's the very best preacher in the entire world. It will not. Because God has given you His Word. He's given you the ministry of encouragement. He's given every believer his word to establish their own lives and their own hearts. Do you know that the average Christian home in America has 4.4 Bibles? The Thessalonians had one letter. We have 4.4 Bibles in our homes, in Christian homes in America. Do you know how many people who claim to be Christians actually read 
15% read the Bible daily. 13% read the Bible three times a week. 43% say they don't ever read the Bible at all. And you and I can never be established apart from the Word of God. I read a story some years ago about a, a young man who was working on his Ph.D., he had gotten his master's degree of divinity in a local divinity school, and he wants to get a Ph.D., and he wanted to go to Europe overseas to earn his Ph.D. And his dad said, son, I just want to warn you. You're going to that place over there that's very liberal. And the first thing that those liberals are going to do, they're going to tell you the book of Jonah wasn't real. And they're going to try to steal the book of Jonah from you. Don't let them steal the book of Jonah from you. So he goes off to school. He's gone for two years. He comes back home. And his father asked him, son, did they take the book of Jonah from you? He said, dad, the book of Jonah is not in your Bible. He said, what are you talking about? He said, dad, the book of Jonah is not in your Bible. He said, what do you mean? I'm going to prove to you that the book of Jonah is in my Bible. He takes his Bible out and he can't find Jonah. So he goes to the table of contents. He looks at the page number. He goes to the pages and he recognizes three pages have been removed from his Bible. And he was confused. And a young man said, Dad, before I went, I cut the book of Jonah out of your Bible. And here's what I have to say about that. What's the difference if somebody takes the book of Jonah away from you or you neglect it because you never read it? If you had been reading your Bible, you would have known the book of Jonah was missing. God gives us his word to establish us. And the strength of the church is only going to be as strong as the word of God that is taught. And God doesn't give the word just to the pastors to speak it. He gives the word to you to read it and to learn it and to pass it to others. Just as encouragement comes your way and you encourage others, the word of God and truth comes your way and God's desire is that you would use it in the lives of other people. That you would speak forth the truth. And there's such a biblical illiteracy in our country today and in our churches that God is saying, listen, if we're going to be a strong church, it will never be strong apart from my word. So God sends his word to establish us. Here's the third thing he does. God sends the church prayer warriors to empower them. I love the way this flows. It begins with an encourager. It begins with the establishment of the word of God. And it ends with empowerment through prayer. The apostle Paul was an incredible prayer warrior and what does he do? Not only does he send Timothy, not only does he send the word of God, but he is sending up prayers on behalf of the people in Thessalonica. Here's how he puts it in verses 9 through 13. For what thanksgiving can return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. As we do for you, 
so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul practices what we know as intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is praying on behalf of someone else. It's positioning yourself between God and that person. And you call out to them. The Apostle Paul says he did it night and day, that he regularly prayed for the people in Thessalonica. They were going through a hard time, and he prayed for them. The Lord Jesus practiced intercessory prayer regularly. We see that he speaks to Peter in Luke chapter 22. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's an intercessory prayer for his disciples and for all those who will come to be his disciples. And even now, according to Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding to the Father on behalf of every child of God. He's praying constantly for us. And what are we to do? We are to pray for one another. That's what Paul does. You see, the empowerment of the church comes through prayer. The establishment of the church comes through the word of God. The help in the church comes through the encouragement of believers. And what is it that Paul prays for? There are three things he prays for from these passages. Prayer for mature faith. He prays that their faith would grow. And when will it grow? Through adversity, through difficult times. Most of the time when people are going through troubles, you know what we do? We pray them out of the troubles. Not Paul. Paul prayed that the troubles and the difficulties and afflictions would cause their faith to grow. Too many times we want to deliver people from struggles when God hasn't finished his work in that struggle. And we pray for people's faith to grow. You know, faith is like a muscle. The more you work that muscle, the stronger that muscle grows. And the more opportunities to express faith, the more your faith will grow. It will. Somebody wrote this. Faith that is not tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Because it's through the difficulties and the trials and the sufferings that we have a greater confidence. He's praying that their faith would mature and that they would grow through it. The second thing he prays for them is for abounding love. Abounding love. The word abounding means overflowing. It's a picture of a river that has overflowed its banks. And in that region of the world, when the water went over the banks, everything the water touched, it brought life. And life came. They were to abound in love for one another. They are to overflow in their love for one another. They are to grow in their love and appreciation for each other in the life of the church. Jesus said this, By this all men will know if you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Jesus gave the world the right to judge the church in that statement. And here's the way it works. If the church looks in at the, if the world looks in at the church and they see we don't love each other, they have no confidence that we would ever love them. And so we're not only to love one another, we're to love the world. He's saying love the people who are persecuting you. Love the people who are causing distress in your life. Love the people who are pagan. Love the people who are anything but like you. 
Let the love of God abound in your life that it pours out into others and it impacts the community where you live. We are to walk and growing in our love. Here's the third thing he prays for, holy living. Boy, we don't hear much about praying for holy living anymore. Holy living, the word holy means to be set apart, means to be different. He's praying that they would be so set apart to the gospel, so set apart to the glory of God, so set apart to the Lord Jesus that the culture around them would see that they're so different that it's an amazing thing. You see, not only are we to encourage one another, not only are we to be established in God's word, but we are to be empowered, listen, as we pray for each other. Prayer is the power in the work of God. Several years ago, Jim Dunn and I went to visit a lady who had a double knee replacement. And if you've ever had a, a knee replacement, you know a double one would have to be twice as hard. She had been going through a lot of pain. She was nauseated. And so Jim and I went to the hospital to visit her. We did not sit on her bed. But as we went to the hospital, she was lying there and she was just smiling. I think this was a Monday. And we said, well, how's your pain level? She said, let me tell you about the pain level. She said, Saturday and Sunday morning, the pain was unbearable. She said, I could hardly bear it. I was nauseated all through the day. But I kept waiting for 6 p.m. Because I knew at 6 p.m. the pain would be gone. Jim and I looked at each other like, I asked, well, is that when the medication is coming? No. She said, at 6 p.m., people at Scotts Hill Baptist Church are praying. And they're praying specifically for those requests that people have filled out. She said, I wrote a request. And I asked that they would pray for a speedy and a great recovery for me. And at 6 o'clock, I knew that some prayer warriors were going to get a hold of that card and at 6 o'clock, somebody was going to call my name to God. And I waited with great anticipation. And she said, by 6.15, the pain left my body. And she said, I have not been hurting since then. One of the things the church needs to strengthen us is prayer. It's to pray for one another. And there are all kinds of easy ways we can do that. When somebody comes to you and says, hey, would you pray for me? Say, okay, right now, right now. Right now we pray. But we're in, a, we're, we're in an aisle in a store. I don't care. Right now. We're in a restaurant. I don't care. Well, we're in a bathroom. Well, let's get out and then we'll pray. When you have an opportunity, and listen, let's pray for one another that our faith would grow. That all the trials and the tribulations that God is giving in our lives, that he would use those to make us stronger for him. Pray that we would love one another more. Pray for holiness. This church's greatest asset is its pastor's personal holiness. And this community's greatest asset is your personal holiness. One of the things I do at night is when I can't sleep, I lay there and I just say, Holy Spirit, bring somebody to mind. Let me pray for them. 
I'll pray for them, and most of the times I'm praying, and I fall asleep really quick. So you don't get a real long prayer. But sometimes I call out a name, and I can't go back to sleep. And I pray all night. And I pray and pray, and I don't sleep. And I'm thinking, I wish this person would get their life straight so I can go back to sleep. But prayer is incredibly, incredibly important. And to Scotts Hill Baptist Church, let me tell you what God has sent. He sent encouragers. Every child of God is an encourager. Encourage. Look for ways to encourage. He has sent us His Word to establish us. Read His Word. He has sent us prayer to empower us. Let's pray. And pray for one another that this community would be impacted and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out everywhere for his glory. You want to be a faithful church? You want to be a strong church? Receive the gifts that God gives to us today. And let's walk in those. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, maybe you've been brought here, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, my friend, I want to tell you that Jesus is your only hope. He's the only one. He's the only one who can bring you into a relationship with God. And maybe today he is challenging you and calling you to consider his claims and to surrender your life to him. But believer, as we leave here today, I want to leave you with a prayer. It's a song. And the song speaks about all the things that we've just talked about of strengthening a church. It's a new song, but you will catch on very quickly to it. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and stand. Everybody stand. If you're at home watching, you don't have to stand. The last service, I went down and I forgot to turn my mic off and I'm singing with these guys. And they're all like, what is that noise? So I will turn my mic off this time. But listen to the words of this, and may this be the prayer of your heart as God uses us to strengthen the body of Christ at Scott's Hill. Father, thank you for your word. Encourage us. Establish us. Empower us to be the church that you desire us to be. That we love one another, we pray for one another, we encourage one another. We speak your word to one another. And we watch the tempter be defeated all around us. And we watch our culture not shaping us, but us shaping it to the glory of your name. And may this be our prayer daily. In Jesus' name, amen.